thank you for tuning in to the Fires of Revival podcast. It is my prayer that you are helped by the weekly ministry conversations and expositional teachings through Key Bible Passages. Please be sure to rate and review the podcast. And now for the episode. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. I know it's been a while since I've recorded a podcast, had the last month or so off. Um, Thank you for being patient with me in that. Life's pretty busy being a father, being a husband, being a school teacher, youth pastor, all those different hats to wear. And unfortunately, because of that, the podcast does kind of fall down on that the rankings of importance. Um, But thank you to those who have been uh, faithful listening to this, those who have been encouraging me in it. And I am back for a while. I just wanted to share something with you this morning from my heart. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. For those of you that know your Bible very well, you know exactly what text, what portion of Scripture we're headed to. So find your place, 1 Kings 19. We're glad you're here. For this new year, I will say, since life is a lot busier, and I don't think it's going to get less busy, if anything, it's going to get busier. I still want to keep recording podcast episodes. I'm not saying the podcast is over because I'm nowhere near that. That's not going to happen. But if I miss a week, understand. If I miss two weeks, understand that as well. Uh, So to compensate uh, for me not being able to record every single week as much as I would like to, trying to record ahead, doing some interviews. I have a couple coming forth forth here in the next few weeks, hopefully. If I can just get some scheduling to work out with the people that I'm recording with. So those are some things we'll look forward to. I'll try to break those up into two episodes to cover more ground if I can. Um, I'm going to try to take some sermons at our church, post them on here for those that don't attend Liberty or that you do and you miss the service. We'll do some of that, some other uh, sermons and things of mine and of other people. Just put content out because I don't want to abandon you guys and only record episodes, you know, sporadically. I do want to try to faithfully put content out every week. So I would encourage your prayers in it that I can either find that the Lord will give me the time to record every week or that he will give me content to post on weeks that I cannot make it. But 1 Kings chapter 19, this is what I was talking about in my Bible class this morning. So for those that don't know, I do teach a ninth grade Bible at uh, the Christian school that I teach at here in Florida. And ninth grade Bible with Becca is titled Kings of Israel. Basically, it's a study from 1 Samuel all the way through Nehemiah. And we walk through those books verse by verse and love doing it. It's my favorite class that I get to teach. I love every second of it. And this morning's lesson, we picked up the story at 1 Kings 19. To give you the context, in 1 Kings 17 and 18, God has been using Elijah. We have Elijah going to Ahab, right to the king, pointing at him in his face, telling him it's not going to rain for the next three and a half years because of Ahab's wickedness and the wickedness of Israel. And that actually happening, God caring for Elijah to the brook Cherith with the ravens giving him food and bread and meat and all of that and the water with the brook and the shade by the trees and God providentially caring for him. We follow that up. We have where God dries up the brook, uh, takes the ravens away, and tells him to go to a little town to go find the widow and to go ask her to make him a meal. As he shows up, it turns out this woman is making her and her son's last meal. They're going to eat it, and they're going to die. And that's the end of the story for them, or so she thinks. Elijah tells her to make him food. She obeys, listens despite the circumstances, and God provides for them and gives them just enough oil and just enough meal every day for her, her son, and Elijah to eat. Her son dies. Elijah, through the power of the Lord, revives and brings him back to life. To follow that up, Elijah has his famous face-off with uh, Ahab and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, calls down fire from heaven. Uh, The Lord consumes the altar. It says that it laps up the water. It burns it up. 
It burns up the rock. It burns up the stone. It burns up the sacrifice. The wood consumes everything. Elijah follows that up by killing all of the prophets, exerting all that energy. And then we pick up our story in chapter 19. Let's look at verse number 1. So if you have your Bible, we are going to be in 1 Kings 19 for uh, the entirety of the message. And I'll just be walking you through some of the things I walked my class through looking at this. Just something that I really felt burdened to share with you guys. And I think you'll understand why here in a few minutes. So 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 1. The Bible says this. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. If you know the life of Elijah very well, you know that he was a very bold man. Uh, to say that this man was a coward, you'd, you'd be lying to yourself, because he's not. He is a man's man, so to speak. And Elijah gets word that Jezebel wants him dead. And what does Elijah do? Let's look at verse number 3. And when he saw that, he rose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Elijah goes on a several, several mile journey and begins running and is running literally for his life. Look at verse number four. This is where things get interesting. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And Elijah makes several incorrect assumptions here. And we're going to talk about them in regard to discouragement because all of us wrestle with it. Whether you admit it or not, or whether it's something you wrestle with every day or occasionally, discouragement is a part of your life. Depression, that is a part of who you are as a human being. You're never going to escape that. Now, some of us might be geared, geared or built differently, where maybe you wrestle with it constantly, or maybe you don't. Uh, I think of... The famous hymn writer who wrote the hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood, William Cowper. Uh, he wrestled with depression so great that it was said that he tried killing himself on many occasions. And if it wasn't for the encouragement of his dear friend John Newton, then he would have killed himself. He would have committed suicide. Some Christians bear discouragement like that, or Charles Spurgeon, who wrestled with what many today would uh, clarify as medical depression, who needed medication for it. Maybe you're that bad. Maybe you're not. Maybe it's just something that happens occasionally. But regardless of how spiritual you are or how not spiritual you are, discouragement is a part of our life. And look at verse 4. But he went himself a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. So Elijah says, Lord, basically, I want you to end my life. Kill me, please. Elijah finishes by saying, I am not better than my fathers, meaning, God, I'm just wasting breath on this earth. Everybody's better than me. I'm the lowest of the lowest. I'm just wasting time on this earth. You go ahead and just take me out. And this request of Elijah is sad. And you might think, how in the world would Elijah, this prophet who had everything together, who's calling down fire from heaven, healing someone who's dead, doing all kinds of miracles, suddenly wants God to kill him. And that's what we talked about this morning in our class. And it's interesting because discouragement comes to everybody. And it comes to us especially after spiritual victory. I could think of my life, times I've been most discouraged have been a day or two after the Lord did something great in my life. And it's sad, yet it's happened not only to me, but to many people. If you were listening today, and if I were to ask you this, I'm sure you could agree with me and say the same thing. Why does it happen? Think about it. When you do well and you succeed, you begin to put your guard down. 
you begin to become content and say, you know what, I, I can do this myself. If I can heal the dead and I can do this, you begin to become self-sufficient. Now, maybe Elijah didn't, but I, I'm thinking a personal experience in myself. We begin to put our guard down, and Satan comes right in and discourages. Elijah just experienced the highest mountaintop of his life, or one of them, I should say, and follows it up the next day with the lowest valley in his life. And fear, when it is a lack of confidence in God, is always, always, always wrong. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This Elijah, who is confident, who is bold, who is courageous, now is cowardly. And he was allowing fear to control him. And it's a sad way to live. We are not to be controlled by fear. And Elijah is so afraid, he makes a statement that he probably wouldn't have made in his own logical mind. And he says, Lord, just take me out, please. I am no better than my father's. And here's the key. Spiritually and physically exhausted, uh, Elijah made these decisions. This led, shortly after, spiritual and physical exhaustion. Uh, he has just ran for miles and miles and miles. And this Elijah now is in his 40s in his 50s, and running for miles and miles and miles, the average person isn't in shape for that. And I'm, I'm in my 20s, and I'm not in shape to do that. So I can imagine here the energy exerted with that. If you pick up the story in chapter 18, you'll find the story takes place early in the morning and goes till late in the night. Elijah's been up all day. He's been on an adrenaline high for the past few days. He's exhausted. He has not rested. He has exerted a ton of energy, and he's tired, and he just wants to rest. And that is when Satan likes to creep in, is when we, we wear ourselves thin, when we push ourselves too far, and we don't take the time to rest, then Elijah failed to realize that lesson, and he had to learn it the hard way. But a few things we covered this morning that really helped Elijah with taking his own life. We need to recognize a few things. Life is a gift from God. Since God gives life, I'm reading my book here, he, also, uh, he will also take it in his own perfect timing. Therefore, Elijah assumed a responsibility that was not his. Elijah said, Lord, take my life. I don't even want to live anymore. Yet that wasn't his call to make. Maybe you're wrestling with something as serious as depression or suicide. Well, the Bible says it's not your life to take. All life is precious. All life is God's life. And God makes the call, not you. Number two in this. Introspection allows the devil to bombard our minds with lies. Hence, Elijah developed a martyr's complex. And it's true. Many who get discouraged develop a martyr's complex, a woe-is-me mentality. A woe-is-me. I'm the only one suffering. Later on in the chapter, Elijah literally says... I'm the only one left. And God corrects him and goes, no, you're not, Elijah. There's thousands out there that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone. You see, Satan wants you to think you're alone. He wants you to think you're the only one, the only one struggling, the only one going through this, the only one going through that. Yet, that's not the case. There are countless others going through that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 teaches us that, that no temptation is common to man, meaning everything you've gone through, you're not the only one. This isn't brand new. God's never not seen this before. Everybody's gone through what you're going through. And Elijah began to get alone, and he began to think he was the only one. Number three, when we are discouraged, we should focus our attention upon the Lord and his sufficiency. For looking inward and comparing ourselves with others will only bring despair. When I look to myself for the answer of discouragement, it usually only brings more discouragement. When I look to God for the answer of my discouragement, I find the answer. 2 Timothy 1.7 again says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. God gives us those three things, but it comes through relying and trusting on Him. And I love this. Look at, let's look at verse 5 of the story. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then the angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. We'll skip the next few verses, but basically, Elijah gets up from his nap, eats some food, sleeps again, and he ends up being okay. 
And it's just funny. Sometimes in life, you just need food in a nap. And that'll fix a lot of problems in your life. And Elijah gets the physical rest that he needs. He's about to get the spiritual rest that he needs. And look here. This is interesting. Uh, let's look at verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Isn't that encouraging? I'm being sarcastic here. The angel goes, All right, you've got a journey, but it's too great for you. You can't do it. You know, imagine trying to find some encouragement from a coach if you're in sports. And your coach tells you, yeah, you can't do it. Sorry. You'd be feeling discouraged. Like, if you don't believe in me, and I don't believe in me, who does believe in me? And Elijah hears that. And let's look now. Uh, verse 80 spends 40 days and nights in the Mount Horeb. Uh, verse 9, he goes to a cave. God asks him, what's he doing there? Let's jump down to verse 10 again, this martyr's complex. Elijah says, I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And I love this verse 11. This, God speaks to him. And when we are discouraged, God wants to speak to you. But too many, too many times, like Elijah, we focus on ourselves and woe is me mentality. And we miss out on God's voice. And Elijah is missing the big picture. Let's look at verse 11. This is, and he said, this is God speaking. Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great strong wind, rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So God tells Elijah, listen. And he sends a fire, a strong wind, an earthquake, lots of big explosive things. That's significant because to this point in Elijah's ministry, it's all been fireworks and explosions. Healing the, the man who passed away. Calling down fire from heaven. Killing 400 prophets of Baal. Stopping rain for three and a half years. This guy has done some big things, some explosive things, so to speak, things that are attention-getting, attention-grabbing. And God sends those things, yet after each it says, But the Lord was not in the fire, but the Lord was not in the wind, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. But look at the end of verse 12. And after the fire, a still small voice. You know, God wants to speak to you, but you have to quiet yourself. You have to be still and know that God is real. Verse 13. And so, it, And it was so. When Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave and said, Behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And let's jump down to verse 13. The Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. So God speaks to Elijah, but he does it through a still, small voice. He tells Elijah, It's okay, calm down. And God speaks to us the same exact way through a still, small voice. But how do you hear that? You have to quiet yourself spiritually. I remember last year at camp, uh, Teen Extreme here in Kurt Skelly, he gave this illustration. It's preached from this text. And he said, you know, we want to ex we expect God to speak in the big things, the explosive moments of life, the, the big issues. And he does. He's like, I'm not saying he doesn't. He does. Yet oftentimes God just wants to talk to you quietly, one-on-one, -on -one, in the stillness of what's going on. But that requires you quieting yourself. He said, because God speaks quietly. And he began to take his microphone off, and he spoke quieter for the illustration to the point that he began to whisper. And he was whispering like this. And I'm not sure if you can hear me on the, the podcast or not. I was whispering there for a second. And he began to lower his voice to where the only people in the auditorium that could hear him were those on the front row. And he began to walk down the rows and talk quietly and whisper. And you could hear him when he was close. When he was far away, you couldn't. And God speaks the same way to me and you, Christian. 
But it comes when, despite the discouragement, we quiet our souls, we quiet our hearts, we quiet the distractions and say, Lord, you've got to speak. Lord, I've got to listen. Help me to listen to your voice. Help me to quiet myself enough to hear you because you're talking, but I'm not hearing you. It's like a teacher in a classroom trying, trying to teach, and every two seconds the students are blurting out things they shouldn't, and they're trying to talk and be loud. They're going to miss the instructions. They have to be quiet. And God is saying the same thing to Elijah. When you still your soul, God will work. And I love this. God begins speaking at, uh, to him, and he teaches, tells Elijah, again, the journey's too great for you, but I've got a helper for you. And he anoints Elisha to help Elijah, to help carry the load and carry the burden. And God uses that, and he can use others. Because at this point, Elijah was alone, and it worked for a while, but eventually he ran out of gas. He began to get discouraged and depressed to the point that he wanted God to take his life. He wanted to commit suicide. And the Lord spoke to him, revived him, and sent him somebody so that he would not burn out. So the challenge to us this morning is pretty simple. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your background is, your family upbringing, your wealth, or lack thereof. I don't know those things, but you do, and God does. And God wants to speak to you in your trials. He wants to speak to you in your difficulties, but it's only going to happen when we quiet ourselves. When we say, Lord, your voice is more important to me than the things going on. And we quiet our souls and we listen and we focus and we let God speak to us and give us the answer that we need in our discouragement. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for your word and how sufficient it is for each of us. I pray that you help each of us to make a stand for you. If anyone listening is discouraged, is down, I pray that you will encourage them, help them to quiet their souls, to hear your voice and to hear your message and your answer. And we ask all of this in your son's name, Father. Amen.